The last couple of Sundays, you might have noticed we've had some individuals that have sat on the front row uh, near me and have created a little bit of a disturbance. Every time that happened, Matt Davis was the one standing up here. So we have banned Matt from standing up here anymore. We've, we figured, you know, it's not just a coincidence. There's a cause and effect going on there. But uh, beyond that, I uh, just want to let you know that we are looking into those things. We're trying to staff up a security team. We do have security here, uh, but we're trying to understand a lot of things like Charleston, South Carolina, that there is a kind of a new reality that's going on here. So we're looking to those who are in law enforcement, who are part of our church family, uh, who would love to support uh, in helping guide and care for uh, all the folks that are here on our campus when we gather together. So I want to let you know that we're looking to do more training and to uh, more recruiting. If you're in law enforcement uh, currently or retired, uh, let us know. And you'd like to help us out, we would love for you to help us out. We do have a number of uh, men and women already in that arena, and uh, we'd look for others that would like to help out as well. So uh, anyway, just to let you know that we are uh, trying to do our very best. I actually called the uh, watch commander over here at Santa Ana PD this morning, happens to be a friend of mine, and uh, so he has alerted his guys who are in the northeast area. We're in the northeast. Uh, they call them beats now, northeast area, and so... Uh, we are praying for God's safety and security, not just here in the worship center, but we have a Hispanic ministry going on, we have a Mandarin ministry going on, and we have children's ministries, we have student ministries, and so on our 10 acres, it's always a challenge to have the adequate security, knowing that the ultimate guard, Jesus Christ himself, is here amongst us. But we know, even as Nehemiah, you know, when Nehemiah built the walls, he prayed, he committed the walls to the Lord, and then he set up guards, you know. So he actually did both. We want to do both. So anyways, just give you a little bit of a heads up. I invite you to take your Bibles in hand. We're in the fir- and, uh, a series called True Life, Real Love. And this morning, we'd like to talk about the living the true life in the last times. In First John chapter 2, very fascinating section that talks about some of the realities that we deal with today. In First John 2, 18, You'll notice some of the last time's emphasis. I want to drill down a little bit on that. Let me read some of the text for us. In 1 John 2.18, we're actually going to go to, to verse 27. He says, Children, it is the last hour. And so John, even 2,000 years ago, had in mind that we are in the last hour, that he was anticipating. Many of the disciples were thinking Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. And so, children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. 
This is the promise which we have made, which He Himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Let me just stop there. Reading John and his first John, it feels like a peppered series of very fine points. Let me try to gather those points together. Reminding us that as we've seen the last few weeks, he's writing in Ephesus. This is an area that we call Turkey today. It was known as Asia Minor. And you see what is the seven churches of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3. John wrote Revelation to those seven churches that you see on the screen behind me. And so it's an opportunity for us to eavesdrop on the letter that he wrote to these believers in the times in which they lived. And you will see some of the same things they're experiencing 2,000 years ago. We're experiencing them today as well. Here are some of the things that we should know if we're living in the last times. How do we respond? How do we, how do we gather ourselves? First thing that he talks about is be aware of false messengers of the faith. He addresses this and he calls them antichrist. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come or have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Now, just as far as clarity's sake, there will be the final antichrist. He is known as the beast. I'll show you some of those qualities in a minute. Then there are other many, M-I-N-I, many antichrists that will be sprinkled amongst us. They will be those that are going to counter or to contradict who Jesus is and what he says. So those are characteristics of the final days. I put in the back of the outline what we call the digging deeper, these qualities. I don't have time to go into it. But if you did a study of the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, you see him talking about two beasts there. He talks about the beast who is what we call the Antichrist. There is a second beast that he describes there and is referred to as the false prophet. But these are the qualities that an Antichrist type figure will have. He will be a powerful or authoritative rule. He will have this dictator mindset. He will have the sense that I am in charge and people will probably bow down to that. He will also be a very charismatic type of an individual. He's a very attractive one to follow, sort of a one-man rule. People will swoon at his presence and his ability to communicate. He'll be one who will undermine, undermine God's truth. And so we see that going on. We see an undermining of biblical truth for today. We see that there will be, fourthly, a persecution of true believers that obey God's truth. Because what the Antichrist or the beast will try to do is to control and to devise a morality and a religious nature that is contradictory to who we are and how we operate. Again, we're seeing that going on today. And back in John's day, and here it is today. There will be this sense of supernatural power because the evil one, Satan, will empower him. You see evidence of that. And what's going to happen is that people will be led by his capacity to do things that affects how people experience things and feel things, not what people think about things. And that's going on today as well. There's a high level of biblical ignorance. There's a high level of biblical illiteracy. There is this inability for us to think rationally and truthfully, to have a set of facts, a set of truths, absolute truth, and be guided by them. We are now in a stage of life where we're being led by experience and feelings. And the Antichrist is going to be 
He's going to be supreme at the capacity to lead people by how it makes them feel or by experiences they will have as opposed to, wait a second, that's simply not true. That will be a lost art of believing something to be true and then hanging on to that truth. And that's uh, underway today as well. And then finally, there will be this uh, ability to control us monetarily and religiously. Uh, The mark of the beast, the 666, probably referring to the perfect man on earth. Six being the number of man, seven being the number of God, 666, trinity of the number six being the perfect man who is able to rule and control how we use our funds. And again, we see that happening as well. So those are some characteristics of the final Antichrist. The little Antichrist, the M-I-N-I, many Antichrists, the miniature Antichrist, they will have some of those same character traits. You see that in cults today. You see that same kind of manifestation as well. Let me take you one step further. Uh, I don't often have a chance to talk about prophecy and future things and how they impact. But there's a thing going on in the world today. Let me take you into a, a book called Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 11. He's describing this last days when the Antichrist is at work and some of the configuration of the, of the historical and the geographical maneuvering of nations. It's in Daniel chapter 11 that Daniel is given this vision from God, this revelation. And I highlight the various powers that are going to be configuring against the Antichrist. And at the end time, again, as John said, we're living in last times. Daniel says, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him, the beast. And the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. And he will enter countries and overflow them and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land, which is Israel. So God has such a sacred trust in the land we call Israel. He calls it the beautiful land. And many countries will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand. And Edom, Moab, and the the sons of Ammon, these are outside of what we call Israel today. And it goes on. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians will follow at his heels." But then a third power. Now we've seen the king of the south, the king of the north, and now we have rumors from the east. And I put in, in the parentheses there Revelation 16 because that's where you describe, uh, John describes the powers coming from the east. And from the north will disturb him and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. This is the configuration of the World War III, or maybe it's going to be four. Who knows, by the time these things roll around. But let me show you a map. What Daniel is prophesying, what John affirms in Revelation, is this reality. Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39 also speak to this. In fact, I use the names that Ezekiel uses for these regions of the land. That's why you see those on there. Uh, just ignore them for the sake of today. But there will be a power that comes from the north. We would know that nation as being Russia today. There will be a power that will come from the south. You can see the areas of Egypt and probably North Africa. And then there will be a power that comes from the east. Remember, he'll be disturbed by rumors from the power of the east. Revelation 16 
China will begin to bring their armies across that region as it goes through and gathers momentum, probably in Iran, the Persians, as well as Iraq. And I just simply point this out as that you read about things that we're trying to have um, nuclear power agreement with the country of Iran. When you read about Putin and his capacity to take over foreign territories that are not rightfully his, and you see the alignment of Putin with Syria, as you see all these sort of these geopolitical things that are going on, you and I who want to be biblically literate, you and I who haven't given up on absolute truth, you and I who believe that the whole Word of God has influence and relevance for us today, we've got to give credence to these things and to say, God, are you manipulating this, this whole area of the Middle East? It's just a cesspool of chaos where governments are falling and collapsing and there's no real power structure and, and ISIS and other groups that are rising. It's just craziness that's going on. If that were happening in America, we, we would be beside ourselves. We are so governed by at least a semblance of order. But in those areas of the world, it's just other chaos. You see the alignment of the powers of the north, the south, and the east, and it's all around Israel, surrounding Israel. And so that's why, even as we had Moran last week, uh, who serves the Lord in Israel, we believe that God has His hand upon what, what Daniel calls, or what uh, yeah, Daniel calls the beautiful land, or the holy land. Well, this is part of what John is addressing. This is the bigger picture of what John is addressing. So I just wanted to give an opportunity for you to see sort of this movement as you read, as you pray, as you're alert, Understand that these are things that the Scriptures teach us on. And that the better we are as student of God's Word, the more alert we are, the more aware we are, the, the less frustrated we become. Because, God, you've got your hand on this world. And you are manipulating powers so as to bring about the final coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. But these things must take place first. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 24. He says these are the birth pangs of His coming and setting up his kingdom. So be aware of the false messengers that are out there. Secondly, be aware of the false believers that fall away from the faith. John goes on and says in verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. So it would be shown that they are not really of us. In the last times, and you're seeing it today, there is going to be a falling away of those who had claimed to be Christians. Jesus spoke of that in Matthew chapter 24, 10. At that time, what time is Jesus talking about? In Matthew 24, Jesus is all over the last times. Jesus is given the big prophetic conference message in, Je- in Matthew chapter 24. That's what it's all about. And he says, at that time of those end times in which we live, and John says, we are living in the last times. Jesus says, at that time, many will fall away. You have to be part of something to fall away from something. So he's not talking about those that never believed. He's talking about people like us, people that might be with us, people that have chosen to no longer be part of us. They have fallen away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. There will be a divisiveness that will come out of them. We also see in First Timothy this, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, last times, these times, He says they will fall away from the faith, 
So you have to be part of the faith to fall away from the faith. Paying attention to what? Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The evil world has a doctrinal system by which they operate. They're faithful to their doctrinal system. Demons aren't falling away from their doctrinal system. We may be, there are those amongst us who will be, but demons don't. If there's one thing you can say about a demon, once they believe in something, they hang on to it. They're not being saved. They're not being converted. They're not becoming angels again. They're believing that. And they're deceitful in that sense. And what they're saying is this, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience. And this is why it's so hard to reach some people. Because those who have fallen away from the faith, they become more difficult to reach again. Because they're seared in their own conscience. As with a branding iron, there's a callousness. There's a hardness that becomes part of their existence. And it's so difficult to reach them. And here is what they nail down. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God's created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. The challenge is that their doctrines of demons know specific targeted areas to attack And in attacking those areas, they cause people to fall away from the faith. And in falling away from the faith, they go after two areas. Number one, they begin to distort what marriage is. In those days, Gnosticism believed that if you get married, you shouldn't have any kind of a physical relationship because the body is nothing. And so you shouldn't have that kind of physical attachment. Or the body is nothing, so therefore you can do anything you want with your body. That was part of the heresy of those days uh, those days and people were falling away from true followership of Jesus to become part of this gnostic lifestyle and so this doctrine of demons was undermining the the joyfulness and the validity of what God had created in marriage now we don't see gnosticism so much although there is a portion of gnosticism where people can have Sex outside of marriage, it doesn't matter because the body doesn't matter. I mean, they don't do it for Gnostic reasons, but it's sort of the same outcome. We also see that there is an attack of marriage today by the redefinition of marriage. I'm not going to go down that road, but I just want to show you that this is not new. It's not new that the doctrines of demons would cause people to fall away from the faith, and one of the areas in which people will fall away from the faith would be in the area of distortion of marriage. That God had, says there, God had created it. God created it so that we'd be shared, to be joyful, it'd be a great thing. And there is a distortion, whether it's through divorce or the redefinition of marriage or living together outside of marriage. There's all these distortions that go on. And the demons know where to target us. They know what undermines the whole society. And that's what was going on in First in, uh, Timothy. First Timothy, you know, was written to Ephesus. John is in Ephesus writing First John. So there's a, obviously a, a, a tie-in of these things together. And the advocating of abstaining from food, this sort of religious legalism that goes on as well. Hebrews says this, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. How do, we, how do we help? Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, 
so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, that's the challenge. When people fall away, as Timothy says, their, their, their conscience is seared. The author of Hebrews says you will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because the deceitfulness of sin, here's my favorite little phrase from my uh, favorite theologian, you never find in sin what you enter sin to find. Sin is deceitful that as I enter into sin, I think I'm going to get something more, but I'm not getting what I'm going after. That's how it's deceitful. And there is a, and this is just off of, this isn't from Scripture, although maybe I could support it with Scripture, but let me show you what happens. When people fall away from the faith, look for this trend. The first level of falling away from the faith, in my experience, is they break fellowship with the body. They fall away because they're just not adhering to the faith. They're, they're, they're not energized by it. Uh, there's sort of an apathy that builds in. There's sort of a, a drawing into something else that becomes for them more important. So they're falling away. I fall away in fellowship. And then the second level of that evolution is they fall away from the faith of what I believe. They fall away from the truth. They no longer know what the truth is. They no longer have an adherence to the truth because a new, quote-unquote, truth, a new way of believing, a new false message has now taking the place of what they used to believe, that which I grew up with. I know people who have grown up in a church like Calvary Church, and they broke fellowship, and they broke from the faith, and they have broken from what the truth of the faith has always taught. And then the third thing that happens, they go from fellowship to the faith, and then they go to a false messaging. And they begin to be proponents of the false message. They become advocates of those things they were brought up to never believe in, but now they are part of it. Why? Because the demonic evil world in which we live has this persuasive ability to make me think, you know, what I used to grow up with and what I believed as I grew up as a kid, that's simply not true. I don't believe that anymore. Look at what the world, look where the world is today. And we begin to rethink everything. And what happens is that, as First Timothy says, their conscience is seared. And man, nothing, nothing you say makes a difference. And what the author of Hebrews says, they become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so that's what we, we love to interject. If someone is breaking fellowship, we want to reach them before, before they break with the faith and become a proponent and a follower of a false message. I hope that makes sense. Because what, uh, what John is talking about, be alert to false believers who are falling away from the faith. If you know people who are falling away from the faith, get to them early and often. As he says here, encourage one another day after day. Be persistent. Be gracious. Be kind. But go after them. Thirdly, he says, I want you to not only be aware of false messengers and false believers, but I want you to be aware and be strong in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You guys be very brief on this, but just simply want to make one, get it out, one simple little point. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, you all know. And we all know, and at least I think that we wish to know, the anointing, I think, you believe, is the Holy Spirit that comes on someone. We need the power of the Spirit. This, this falling away from the fellowship and the faith 
This is where the Holy Spirit is being quenched and grieved. Uh, There is a failure in many ways. Here's a picture of a power strip. I just happen to have a power strip with me. Now imagine for your, just a brief moment, a power strip is so you can plug it into the wall and you can have multiple uh, ways to plug in and, and overload that breaker switch uh, outside and, and it catches on fire and you burn your house down. But uh, other than that, it's a pretty handy little tool. And so you plug it in so that you can have multiple ways in which you can empower something. Imagine if you did this. So you know I love these power strips because they work so great and you just plug it in like that. And you can't figure out, why is it not working? What's wrong with this thing? I need to go get another one because this is not working properly. What's wrong with this thing? Well, this is just, obviously you know that this is just craziness. It's silly, it's simple, it's trivial. But there are those people in the world who say things like, uh, just believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Okay, I'm going to believe in myself. I'm going to empower myself. Well, that doesn't work. And you find all kinds of other things in which you want to believe in, but if it's not the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter which of these, i got four there. I could, oh, maybe it's that one's, I'll plug in the other one. i got lots of belief systems out there. i got lots of things I can believe. If believing in myself doesn't work, I'll believe in you. I'll, I'll believe in uh, ecology. I'll believe in my university professor. I'll believe what he tells me. I, I'll believe in all those things. And what John is saying is that I don't want you to believe in anything but the ultimate power source that will never be cut off. And the Holy Spirit comes in my life and He begins to teach me God's Word in ways I never understood God's Word before. If you're not praying, God, illumine my heart with Your Word. Let me see things I don't currently see. I'm not trying to be kind of a super spiritual, mumble-jumble, vague thing. But the Spirit of God gives me capacity to do what I could never do on my own. And so John says, man, you've got to go to the Spirit of God, and then you go to the Word of God, and you need to be knowledgeable in the truth of God's Word and who Jesus Christ is, and let that truth bathe over you. Go back to the Holy Spirit in a moment. Let me read the text. John writes in 21 through 23, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth. See, he has confidence. They know the truth. They know these things. And a lot of us know these things. A lot of people who have fallen away from the faith, they know those things. A lot of people with bad marriages, they know these things. As just Paul would say in 1 Timothy, they know these things. And he says, but because no lies in the truth, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, a failure to understand who Christ is and what He came in this world to do. This is the Antichrist. There are Antichrists that want to take us away from Jesus. They want to distort Jesus. They want to distract us from Jesus. I think that we don't have Antichrist in the terms of people. We probably have Antichrist in terms of things. Some people's Antichrist may be their iPad. Because all they do is spend time there on social media. Or it may be Facebook. It may be Instagram. It may be sports. It may be, I don't think it would be the NFL. I don't think that's even possible. But it may be, it may be another sport somewhere. Or it may be your hobby. 
It can't be motorcycle riding, but it could be, it could be, there are a lot of other things though. I'm just trying to let you know that there are some things that are okay. Sort of, sort of. Anyways, all of us need to be careful that we are not being distracted from Jesus by allowing some other influence that has greater capacity to manipulate and motivate our hearts. The other antichrist of this world who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son also does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. He just aligning theologically that the Son and the Father, they go together. You can't be a child of the Father if you're not a believer in the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, they are two distinct persons, but they are one in the sense of being both God. And I've got to understand what do I believe about Jesus Christ. Now, I've got a little assignment for you right now. It's a pop quiz. Close your books. Don't look at your neighbors. Well, you, I want you to look at your neighbors. I'm going I'm to take just a couple of minutes here. I don't have a lot of time. I had more time as a life group. We'd spend more time on this. On the back side of the outline, I put a little thing down, sort of the midpoint, truth or lie. Because John's talking here about you know the truth, there's no lie in the truth. Are these statements true or are they a lie? I'd like for you to spend just a little, I'm going to give you two minutes, two minutes, to in your own mind or with your neighbor, whoever you're sitting next to, Spend as much time as you can, kind of going through though, is this a true statement or is this a statement of lie? And try to get a sense, because these are the subtleties of what's being taught and promoted and, and thinking about. So two minutes, two minutes. Okay, I'm going to, sorry, you, you have all the rest of the day. I've only got like, uh, I've got eight minutes to go, so I'm, and they're kick, kicking me out of here. Um, let me just go through this real quickly. Truth or lie? Money is the root of all evil. Lie, of course, we should know that. The love of money is it. Everyone is a child of God and going to heaven. Lie, yeah. And everybody, you know, it's a common phrase people will say. A good God will not allow us to suffer. Lie. The Bible needs to be interpreted in light of our present times. Why? Uh, I was at the city council meeting last Tuesday night, and uh, one of the city council members said about the Constitution, uh, and he said this, as you all know, the Constitution is a fluid document, and it changes with our times. Well, there's some people that believe that about the Bible. It's a fluid thing, and it changes with our times. Two people may have completely different interpretations of the Bible, but both can be correct. Why? Jesus sinned but was completely forgiven by God. Lie. Somebody say true. Should we shame somebody here? All right. Uh, Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. He was perfect and sinless, the sacrifice for us. Jesus came into existence when he was born. Lie. He's always existed. He is God. He was there when the earth was created. The Holy Spirit has a personality and feelings. True. Was there hesitancy on that one? Because they're all lies so far. Uh, he is a personality. He has this personality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may leave me if I sin repeatedly. 
Was there disagreement on that one? Some of these are a little bit like uh, the old qu- quizzes way back in college. And, well, is it? But yeah, yeah, is it more true or less true or which is the better? Anyways, the Holy Spirit will never leave me, but I will break fellowship with the Holy Spirit if I sin. Grieve Him. The, uh, it is more important that we love each other than agree with each other on doctrine. That's kind of a trick question in a way, isn't it? Nasty guy. Um, is it more important? No, but is it important that we love each other? Is it important that we also agree on theology and not surrender those things? Yes, that's important too. The unity of believers is more important than agreement on biblical truth. Yeah, we're not sure about that one. Um, the unity of believers is important, but so is agreement on biblical truth. And i part of fellowship of pastors where we gather together, and we're always talking about unity. We want to unify. We want to unify. And we're not anywhere near being unified because we don't believe the same thing. We don't operate out of the same system. And so unity is important, but more important is biblical truth. Um, all sins are bad in God's eyes, but some sins are worse than others. It's a lie. We sometimes treat some sins as worse than others. It's more important to love and accept someone than tell them the truth. You love someone, you speak the truth in love, right? Baptism is essential to assure one's salvation. Why? The Bible has one interpretation but many applications. True. One interpretation but many applications. I was trying to find how did that apply to me today. Uh, Jesus said that God helps those who help themselves. Lie. I'm told that Benjamin Franklin originally said that. Sickness is usually a result of, of sin in a person's life. Lie. The Bible should always be interpreted literally. Uh, I'm not sure. Yes. Our hermeneutic, this thing called hermeneutic, hermeneutic is how you interpret Scripture. And we go to God's Word and we believe literally, unless it's an obvious figure of speech like we're the salt of the earth. Because we're not literally salt. We're salty, but we're never literally salt. I can pick and choose which Old Testament laws I need to keep today. Why? There's everything in the Old Testament is relevant for us today. It's my inability to maybe study it adequately and, and relevantly. If Jesus did not speak against a certain sin, then that behavior is not a sin. There are those who say that. That's a lie as well. Well, you get a sense. So there's like this, it sort of feels like it could be true, but I'm not sure it really is true. Or the more we know, the better we can discern those things. And what, Jesus, what John is saying, be knowledgeable in those things. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God for Who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, as an illustration, he says, even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is contrary to God's word. But the spirit who is from God. Why? So we might know the things freely given to us by God. I need the Holy Spirit plugged into myself. No, plugged into Him. Absolutely. So I can understand it. Because it says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. That's why we are feeling ourselves pinched increasingly that there is the sense that we are being... uh, um, um, uh, oh, I can't even think of the word now. I'm just kidding. We're being squeezed down that what we believe is like we are crazy people because the Spirit of God does not 
speak to those of the natural world, the world in which John is speaking of, the world that lies in the power of the evil one. There's an inability without the Spirit to understand what God is saying to us. And again, it's not the spiritual kind of craziness, but it's a relationship that helps me to see that. And so let me wrap up with this. Be faithful. We need to be faithful in living our life. If I'm living in last times, I need the false messengers, false believers, absolutely. Be anointed by the Spirit of God to be controlled by Him. Be a student of God's Word. But then live it out faithfully. He says for them as well. Live faithfully according to the basic truths. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, will also abide in the Son of the Father. In other words, when you grew up and you learned these things from biblical truth, those things that are clearly truth, not legalism that I learned in, as a kid, but biblical truth, you abide in them. You stay faithful to them. You don't sort of change according to the world's changing values. And you live according to that. I was going to talk about rhubarb, but you can read my email from, last, from this last week. I love rhubarb, and I don't care how many of you tell me I'm crazy for loving rhubarb, but I love rhubarb. But you can't harvest rhubarb the first year, and I harvested it the first year, and it died. You've got to let rhubarb, its roots grow deep. And spiritually, my roots have to grow deep in God's Word to get all the nourishment, or I'm going to be cut off. And that's why some people fall away from the faith. They're trying to do more. They're not doing enough. They're not letting the roots immerse themselves in Scripture. And then they fall away. And you wonder what happened to them. We also need to be faithful to God's highest priority. This is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. What's God's highest priority? Eternal life. Let me distill it. Let me say this. I referenced it. I was at the city council last Tuesday night. I was there. I do the invocation. And so I did the invocation. But I saw what was on the agenda. No? Be careful with me as I go through this. I'm not going to say what you're going to maybe think I'm going to say. But on the agenda was to commemorate uh, the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage. And the representatives of the LBGTQ organization that were there. And they were going to be given this award and, and everybody celebrated. And one guy was walking around, passing around the rainbow flag. And asking people, you like to have the rainbow. So a lot of people out there raving the rainbow flag. And the Civic Center had the rainbow flag out front, uh, in front of the Civic Center, Santa Ana. So Santa Ana residents, there's your tax dollars at work. And uh, and then every single council member that was there, and they're all there. Everyone is falling over themselves, applauding themselves, and applauding our nation for having the courage to celebrate equality in marriage. One council member said, no one should be against two people loving each other. Well, I'm not against that. That's not my problem. I am glad for two people to love each other. So there's a lot of this nomenclature and sort of confusing of the, of the issues and creating sort of straw men arguments that, that, again, logic and truth could shatter them all. And as I thought about that, I just sort of, sort of, I was one of the minorities that was there because the council member, we all believe this, don't we? And, uh, yeah. Well, you know, that's disturbing to my heart because I can remember days when that simply would never have even been thought of. Not that we shouldn't love everyone. We should love everyone. But here's, I thought about that because I was talking to one of the officers that was there and he and I are of like mind on these things. 
And uh, as I prayed, I could have prayed a provocative prayer about, and God, please restore marriage as you've defined it. I could have said things like that, and it could have caused an edge in a sword, metaphorically speaking. But, you know, I come back, and, and, I, and then that next day I'm reading this verse. Next Wednesday, the day after, I'm reading this verse. This is the promise which he himself made to us. Eternal life. There's going to be many battles we're going to lose, whether it's a definition of marriage, abortion, sex outside of marriage, living together, the way children should be treated by parents. There's going to be a lot of battles we're going to lose. But there's one war I want to win. And what's the war? The war is eternal destiny. The battle is not fighting this front and that front because we're losing some of these battles. But never lose the highest priority of God for which Jesus died. And it's the eternal destiny of every person around us. If I'm battling my neighbor, my city council member, or a fellow Santa Ana police officer, if I'm battling them on marriage issues and the definition of that, I may lose the bigger war. I want to bring people to Jesus and let Jesus change them because I can't change them, but Jesus can. That's what he came in the world to do. You just heard Laura talk about how Jesus is changing the lives of young women who are being sex slaves in Thailand and Cambodia. Jesus changes people. So you and I, be faithful in living our lives for Jesus, remembering why we're here. And it's the eternal destiny of every person around me. And so don't allow the little battles, the little antichrists, if you will, to skew the big Christ, Jesus, and what He has come in this world to provide. We need through love and grace engaging with people like Jesus did with sinners, engage with them, that through some of that, some may come to know Jesus as Savior. And if you're here today and you know Jesus as Savior, we invite you into that relationship. And this is what I'm talking about, the eternal life. This is the promise which He Himself made to us. This is His promise, eternal life. I want that to be the promise for everyone. And don't let the little battles take away the great war of a spiritual destiny. Let me pray. Help us, Father, as we go about our work, the calling that you have given to each of us. Lord, there are things that are happening in this world that lies in the power of the evil one that is disturbing. Lord, we want to speak our minds on that. We want to speak the truth on these things. But, Father, don't ever let our attitudes and our edginess and our judgmentalism become an interference to the real issue of a person's heart and life in relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, guide us, empower us by your Spirit. May we believe in you more than we believe even in ourselves. Because your Spirit will convict. Your Spirit will draw people to Jesus. Your Spirit will teach the Word of God. Your Spirit, Father, is what we need as we live out this life in the last times, so we represent you well. Help us on the journey, as we pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.